You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to Sheep Pivots. I'm Sandra Douglas Morgan. Welcome to Sheep Pivots, the podcast where we talk with women who dared to pivot out of one career and into something new and explore how their personal lives impacted these decisions. I'm your host, Emily Tish Sussman. If there's one thing you should know about me, it's that I am a die-hard football fan. More specifically, a Giants fan. But since the Giants aren't going to the Super Bowl this year, I had the chance to do the next best thing. Interview the most important woman of this year's Super Bowl, president of the Las Vegas Raiders, Sandra Douglas Morgan. A lifelong Las Vegas resident, Sandra has built a reputation for herself as someone who can get things done in difficult situations. She served as the deputy city attorney of North Las Vegas when the recession hit, served as the chair of the Nevada Gaming Board during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, and is now the first black female president of an NFL team. And they just moved the team from its original city in Oakland, California, all while planning for the Super Bowl. To say this woman is ready to pivot on a dime is no exaggeration. So as we get ready for the Super Bowl this coming Sunday, I hope you enjoy this conversation from the woman that is making it all happen. Enjoy. My name is Sandra Douglas Morgan, and I am the president of the Las Vegas Raiders. So you've basically been in Las Vegas your whole life. Yeah. So I grew up here. My mother worked at different casinos when I was growing up. My father um, was a military veteran and, you know, worked in the post office and things like that. So both working class. My mother worked, she she worked swing shift. She would work maybe from two to midnight or two to 1 a.m., depending. And so, you know, by the time then she got, she would be home. My father would be home and then would get up around six. So someone was always home with us. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, someone is always home, especially as a teenager. But now it was, you know, those were sacrifices that they made to make sure that we were staying on, staying on the right track. You've talked a lot about the influence that your mother had on you and your sister and the perspective that growing up with her as an immigrant has shaped. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, she would just impressed upon us the importance of hard work, not 
believing that anything's going to be given to you. Also very cautious. Make sure the people around you have your best interest in hand, not to let people take advantage of you. And I think her her journey here in the U.S. and just me being able to see as a young child how people treated her, just the way they speak to her, just because of having, you know, her having an accent, assuming maybe that she doesn't understand, even though she does, just because she doesn't, you know, speak the same way that they do. I think a little bit of that created a, you know, not to make sure someone takes advantage of you and to make sure that you're strong, you're educated, that you speak up for yourself. Very clear, clear thoughts of right and wrong. I think of, of justice and making sure that people have equal opportunities And um, that is all, some of it obviously was direct, but some of it was just listening to stories, you know, around dinner time and just listening to her and my father talk about different opportunities or different ways and, and the ways that they were treated as well. It's clear her parents did their best to provide Sandra and her sister with the best childhood possible, but it wasn't always easy. Her parents are an interracial couple, her mom, Korean American, and her dad, Black. Sandra often faced comments and challenges. I remember going to the grocery store with my mother and yelling mom, like running down the aisle. I was a little more rambunctious than my sister. And people would look and say, you know, that's your mother. Or they would say to her, that's your daughter. That's just, you know, first of all, I think it's a little tacky, right? But now realizing that I'm looking at her saying, why are they questioning that? So just understanding how people see race, how people treat people differently in different social strata and just... For me, it helped me realize everyone's human. You never know what someone's background is. You don't treat people differently because they have an accent and you don't judge people based on who they love <laughs> and who they decide to have children with and what their children look like. So it's, it's I think those are just kind of life lessons. And honestly, my friend group um, was incredibly diverse growing up as well. I think because we grew up near the military base and just having people from different states and different communities. So all of that um, helped mold me to obviously who I am. When I was there, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, like as a tourist going through, was that it was kind of a lot of like, it felt like buildings of gaming of years past. Like maybe they weren't in the greatest upkeep, but maybe, but I mean, you've lived in Nevada your whole life and then ended up not just working, but like leading the industry and in the gaming industry. How did you see like the evolution of, of the industry throughout your life? And like, how did it impact your perspective? Emily, this is so funny that you brought up like the just kind of just even your short time there, just noticing how the gaming buildings and the kind of infrastructure was a little bit different from Las Vegas. But yeah, and kind of growing up in the environment of knowing, you know, Las Vegas is constantly growing and attracting different people. And that's why so many people are now moving here. We I went from 400,000 people when I was growing up to about 2.5 now in the county. And obviously, just with the evolution of gaming, greater businesses, obviously sports, it's been an incredible time. But to even in my college years, even when I came out from law school, when I was going to law school here at UNLV, they didn't want to be branded as like a gaming law school, right? They wanted just they wanted students from all over the country, all over the world to come here and know they could get a world-class legal education. And then I think about maybe 10, 15 years in, they leaned in and was like, why are we why don't we just offer an LLM in gaming law? This is what we do. This is where, you know, obviously the knowledge hub is. So it's it's funny how people want to say, no, I'm more than that, instead of just kind of leaning into to what they know best. So I think I've been able to see that evolution here in Las Vegas. And I love it. I'm, I'm so, I'm just really genuinely proud of the city. And we're, we've been so business friendly and really encouraged other types of industries to grow here. And that's why I think you're seeing the success that we have now. But to grow up here, I, we really came to the strip if someone, a family member was coming in town. 
And that was about it. And then in the 90s, you had like MGM was branding themselves like a yellow brick road and Wizard of Oz. And they were trying to make it more kid friendly. I don't know if people probably forgot about that because it didn't last very long in the early 2000s. And then you had like Treasure Island with pirate ships. And then, you know, there were roller coasters and Excalibur had more of a, you know, family friendly kind of renaissance feel other than popping in maybe once every I would I would say maybe twice a year on the strip. I lived 30 minutes and grew up 30 minutes away from the strip. All of my girlfriends did. We would maybe go to a homecoming or prom somewhere near the strip. But other than that, you really kind of stayed away from it. And it's really just like any other city. Other than when you go to a convenience store, you'll see a slot machine. <laughs> and when you go to the airport, you'll see a slot machine. But other than that, it's like any other place. But what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be Connie Chung because growing up, my mother's Korean-American Connie Chung was on our televisions every night. This is before, you know, obviously the growth of cable news and just kind of 24 hour networks. And it was something that when we were home at night, that's who we watched. And she was like the epitome of, you know, just having intellect and poise and clearly having a voice that people wanted to listen to. And so just growing up, my mother was like, that's what you should be kind of focused on, on what you want to do and and how you want to live your life. And so seeing her, I was like, okay, I'm going to go do something in communications and journalism. And when I got to the University of Nevada in Reno, I thought I was going to be a comms or journalism major. And and honestly, my sister was in technical journalism as well. She ended up pivoting uh, too and ended up, uh, she's a professor now at Columbia. But I think we both went in thinking, look, we're going to make our mother proud. This is what we're going to do. But when I took a uh, political science class and a constitutional law class in undergrad, I, I knew I wanted to kind of move on to law. So as a child growing up, I just, you know, to make my parents happy, wanted to do what Connie Chung did. Was that like a big driving factor in kind of formulating like who you were, who you saw yourself as, as someone that your parents can be proud of? Definitely. I think there was definitely a, you know, look, you, we, we, we wanted to work hard. Uh, my parents really, really instilled the importance of education. I, I say this and I don't say this in a way to make me sound why I did not wash my own clothes until I went to college because my mother was totally like, just focus on school. We want you to get a good education, get a degree, kind of do that. My, my sister and I are both first generation college students. So it was about kind of making, you know, your family and obviously myself proud, but my family proud as well. You are incredibly well educated, accomplished, and you stayed in Las Vegas your whole life. You know, I think that often when people are, like we hear this from many of our guests, that they start to think about like, I want to get out, go somewhere. Did that, did you ever think about that? Or you were always very dedicated to staying in state? No, I would have, I, you and I've been open in saying this, I've told people that UNLV was my, not last, but I mean, when I went there, I was in the third graduating class of the law school. Okay. So it was provisionally accredited. I was like, I'm not going to go here unless I can practice anywhere in the world and um, definitely took a risk, but they definitely incentivized me to go there. There was an incredible um, assistant dean named Frank Duran that met with me often in Reno and different things, just kind of letting me know that this school is going to be great. And I, and I ultimately ended up going there, obviously too, there was, there was a cost factor as well. But my mother always says to me, I never thought you would stay here. Like, why weren't you going somewhere else? And I was like, thanks. I thought you would want me to be around because my parents are still living here as well. Um, but no, I always planned on it. And I honestly tell my children to go as well. It was just, you know, I've, I've had incredible opportunity. And that is honestly why I am very dedicated to the state because it's given me so many great opportunities. But Emily, absolutely, I thought I was going to leave. And now it's like, you know, you married kids, you have jobs. Now it's like, you know, I think I'm going to have to wait maybe five years, but I still would love to, you know, explore and actually live more long-term somewhere else. Still, Sandra decided to stay in-state and attend University of Nevada, Reno for her undergrad, which is where she met her husband, Don Morgan, 
who actually went on to play for the Minnesota Vikings and the Arizona Cardinals. We kind of have varying stories, but my version, it was like a, it was an event before school even started. We called it Hello on the Hill. It was in the quad and the quad there is beautiful because it's modeled after the University of Virginia quad. But then we ended up having English in the same building. So there was a class, uh, it's in a building, uh, an English class, and there were windows for the doors and for whichever class got out, I would always peek in or he would peek in mine. And then ultimately one day it was like, okay, are we just... We're going to go catch a movie or, or what. And yeah. so our first date was lovingly at a Chili's. The height of romance. I know, isn't it? Yeah. Over cl- classic nachos. Yeah, truly. That's where it all began. <laughs> and when he graduated, he went to play pro. Was that when you were in law school? Yes. So I was in my senior year at um, Nevada, Reno, when he was picked up as a free agent for the Minnesota Vikings. And then we were married my second year of law school. And he was still the Vikings. Yeah. And then he went and played for the Cardinals one year after that. While Don was off playing football, Sandra once again decided to stay in state and attend law school at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So when I was going to law school, this was early 2000s, same issues that we're dealing with now, right? Whether it be reproductive rights, affirmative action, um, things that I felt like when we talk about the Constitution, why it was drafted, the different theories, you know, why, how did this come to be? I really, really enjoyed that. I always enjoyed understanding the why behind the company, right? What is the company's vision? What's the goal of the CEO or the CFO? Why is this policy in place? And so I found myself as a litigator, obviously, we have to kind of have those interviews and those questions to defend the case. But I wanted to continue to help even after the case was done, or I continued to kind of spot, well, how could we have avoided this in the first place? So I knew I always probably would have enjoyed an in-house position or being in management more than being the hired gun. So how did you think about your steps after law school? Like, were you thinking about establishing yourself? I mean, part of being a lawyer is that you have to be admitted in a state. Mm -hmm. So it feels like a lot of pressure when you graduate to like decide where you're going to take the bar. Sure. Well, I knew I was going to take the bar in Nevada. I mean, we took all the barbie courses and the prep courses and, um, you know, did the MB, the MPRE, like the the multi-state stuff. And at the time that in 2003, they only offered the bar in Nevada once a year. So for me, it was either I'm passing this because I don't want to have to clerk for another year. I want to start making a decent salary and I passed the first time. So that was great. And I ended up working at the firm that I clerked in my last year in law school. So I was clerking at a firm and then I did a judicial externship and kind of things like that during the summer. And, you know, I've been really lucky to have incredible mentors throughout my career and consider both of the partners at my first firm that I keep in contact with have been great. So I was there for about three years and then went in-house to MGM. And that was like an opportunity of a lifetime for me at the time I was in my late 20s to be able to work for such established company and just have that's when I kind of understood the corporate structure and how things operate. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again, a paycheck for life, guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? 
Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Sandra's career had taken off. Working in-house at a place like MGM was a dream job for many, but Sandra felt she could do more, lead more. So she applied to become Deputy City Attorney of North Las Vegas and landed the job at just 30. So when I started, I started as a Deputy City Attorney and worked my way up to Assistant and then worked my way up to, and then ultimately was appointed by the Mayor and City Council to be the City Attorney. And that city has its own Police Department, its own Fire Department, its own Parks and Recreation Department, Public Works you know, wastewater and water utility system, you know, um, things like that. And it was the fastest growing city when I joined. Top five fastest growing city in the United States. So when you talk about our planning and zoning, like, you know, oh, you know, here's a plot of land, we're going to zone it commercial, this will be for retail, this place will be for residential. Those meetings to determine what that vacant land would look like, we're going to one in the morning. That is how much growth the city was experiencing. And so at the time that I joined, I was like, this is wonderful. They need help. It's a growing city. And then, you know, the recession hits. Lehman Brothers is going bankrupt. And financial markets from Asia to Europe are doing their utmost to prevent Monday from turning from dark to black. I think this is the most significant financial crisis in the post-war period. There are fears the sell-off will continue on Wall Street. Soaring gas prices, falling home prices, and rising unemployment. And obviously people aren't paying their mortgage, they're losing their homes. Things, I mean, there was a foreclosure, I think, on every, if not every street, every other street in, you know, within a community where the Home Building Association, again, was growing and then it just froze. So tax revenue wasn't coming in. And we had um, a lot of agreements, collective bargaining agreements with our police unions, fire unions, Teamsters that that handled a lot of it. It was incredible. I mean, to, we actually closed our city jail. So those were, goodness, I think at least 500 people who lost their jobs. It was just a really, really tragic and sad time. And for me personally, I was, I was also a resident of the city. And so it would have been 08. So I had my son was maybe two. It really made me realize for me, just like more philosophically, like what is the role of government? It is not for me bringing in revenue. It is about providing basic services. And I shouldn't say basic services. It's about providing services to the community and to the residents and to the taxpayers. But what level of service is, you know, should it be? I mean, 
citizens should feel safe in their community. They should know if they're calling 911 that, uh, you know, police or fire is going to actually show up. There should be parks and recreation centers where their children and people can go. And it really kind of stripped everything down and said, okay, what type of service are we supposed to provide? So for me, it was a very, it was a incredibly moment of growth personally, but then also professionally, because I was in a role not about providing value to, to sh- shareholders, which is obviously very important, but making sure the people who are living in the city can have a good quality of life. And so it was a difficult time, but I will tell you, it was a time of turmoil. And through that time, you see people rise to the challenge and you see who was willing to come to the table and make things work. And I'm just incredibly proud to have been a part of a process where we were able to renegotiate a lot of those agreements. And, you know, the city is, is, is thriving now. And I knew by the time that I left that it was definitely on on the upswing, but, you know, a small, resilient city that really worked together and really helped me professionally. That was definitely a turning point in my professional career as well, because it was a point where if I can go through this <laughs> with, you know, with this team and people around me, like what, you know, there's bring it on. There's, there's more challenges. I think that we can, you know, lean to and kind of conquer together. It also really instilled in me the, um, you know, you learn lessons throughout the way, but just management style, collaboration and communication during times of crisis are so important when you're not making decisions for yourself and just for the company, you're making decisions for residents and for people who maybe don't have a voice. Yeah. Talk to me about how that was a turning point for you. Like, did it make you think about a larger possibility of roles that you could be in or impacts that you could have? It was more, it wasn't about me really. I was focused on like, wow, these decisions are impacting 250,000 people. And what we do that affects the city will then affect the entire state. If I could help bring calm and bring the appropriate level of facts, data analysis, collaboration to be able to get to a decision that could help our residents, will help our state. If I have that skill set that's able to at least help manage that, then yeah, maybe I do have a greater responsibility. But um, yeah, more from a professional standpoint of, okay, I was in the room with some people that were making very important decisions and I felt qualified and capable and competent. And I think it helped my competence as well. You probably had your daughter around the same time that, that the crash was happening, that you were managing all of this as a city attorney. That's not usually a time that women say they want bigger responsibility. I remember my, I was on maternity leave. I remember having my daughter and a baby Bjorn while we were having a meeting about, unfortunately, about reductions in force and thinking, oh, this is difficult. But, you know, I wanted to help the team. And there were the moment actually that I decided to leave the city. I'll never forget it. It was really late at night. And I was hurrying to to sign her up for like pre-K or something. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be here at 10 o'clock at night. I should be with my, you know, with my daughter. But we always have those those ebbs and flows, right, in our lives and different things. I didn't beat myself up about it, but I just remember thinking, this is probably time for me to try something different. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? 
Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Ready for something new? Sandra spoke honestly about what factored into her decision to leave public service and venture into the corporate world. So when you left and you were thinking about looking for something else, what did you prioritize in that search? I was looking for something that would definitely have some stability for me to be able to have some control and a little bit of autonomy and something that was different and fun. And honestly, I wanted to, to be able to be a little more financially secure as well. And I made the move to AT&T. At this point, Sandra had made a name for herself as deputy city attorney, building her connections and network along the way. So it wasn't long before the state wanted her back. She was appointed to sit on both the Athletic Commission and the Gaming Control Board, all while still working at AT&T. And from there, I don't know if it was directly, but you ended up at the helm of the Gaming Control Board in Las Vegas. And in other states, that could be, I don't know, like the lotto or something. But in Nevada, this is a serious position. So, okay, not only were you, I want to hear what that was like to begin with, and then you were running it when COVID-19 hit, when the pandemic hit. You really are in these, you have such impeccable timing. So Emily, my friends often say, don't go to public service because every time you go back to public service, there's a recession or a pandemic. So just stay like, don't, yeah. For the good of all of us. Yeah, for all yes. of us, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was an incredible appointment. I was on the athletic commission and new governor came in and appointed me to be chair of the gaming control board. It is an incredibly important position for our state because gaming is our primary industry. This was something Emily, going back to my mother, would made my mother incredibly proud because she was working again, swing shift, kino runner, had to work holidays because those positions don't give holidays off. And for now, me to be able to regulate that industry is so a proud moment for her and, and me as well. But, you know, you're regulating everything from those five slot machines, 10 slot machines in a convenience store to you know, the mega resorts on the strip and uh, incredibly well-oiled machine because gaming has been around for so long. To say it's a well-oiled machine is an understatement. The industry is responsible for 368,000 jobs and 9 billion, yes, billion in economic impact. It's actually larger than the airline industry. Uh, we contribute a quarter of a trillion dollars to the economy 
and $38 billion in taxes to local and state governments around the country. The Economic Forum went over a number of revenue sources. They started with gaming taxes, which, as we know, are a major source for the state. Sandra was responsible for keeping the entire industry on track. Everything from licensing, regulation and enforcement to running the devices. And in the middle of that was the um, actually the repeal of PASPA, which allowed states to legalize sports betting. States and gaming companies can now legally allow betting on sports. That's because today the Supreme Court overturned a federal ban on sports betting, calling it unconstitutional. So the big question for us is what does this mean for Massachusetts? In development in America's sports industry today, America's highest court has given the go-ahead to bet on sports across the country. Some experts say such a move could see 32 states offering sports betting within five years. A number of stocks leaped on the news. Let's bring in Howard Blue. So a very, very busy time and an exciting time. And cashless wagering was something that was front of mind. I was at, at, glad that we were able to kind of push that through, as well as regulations on um, just discrimination, whether it be race, gender, sexual orientation, religion. That was really important um, for me, obviously, personally, as well, as we're looking at making sure we have an in, not just an inclusive workforce, but that our workforce is being treated properly within the companies and the gaming entities, but also with by customers. OK, so COVID. Yeah, it was uh, devastating, right? This is something that was unprecedented. The uh, gaming industry had never been closed ever. They're they're built to be open 24 seven. Only time there was an option was actually during JFK's funeral. They had the option to be closed. So these doors are not meant to be locked. They're, they're open 24-7. So, you know, conversations about what do we do with the casino cages, right, where you go get cash, where you go get chips, where you go redeem your tickets. Initially, it was where we kind of spaced things out every other machine at table games doing every other because nobody knew. I mean, it sounds a little silly now, but at the time and we were constantly monitoring the, um, the numbers and the cases. And it was funny, even as of March, we didn't even have any confirmed cases in Nevada. But then as soon as that hit, it was like, okay, now what? And working with other states, clearly working with the governor's office, the governor made the decision to open and close. But as the head regulator, I would decide how those decisions were going to be implemented. Las Vegas, as we've never seen or heard before. The entire Vegas Strip shut down. 100% of casino doors closed. Tourists gone. Emptiness like a ghost town and it's like really sad. Everyone wants to know when will casinos get the green light to reopen. We get some insight into how the Gaming Control Board is making reopening decisions with Chairwoman Sandra Douglas Morgan. Another issue many people are worried about is the coronavirus's effect, of course, on our city's economy. Yeah, Las Vegas has seen several large convention cancellations in the last week, and that means less work for local businesses and hospitality employees. Sasha Loftus. We didn't want to be a place that was open for everyone when every, everything else was closed and other places and other states where there was gaming. Casinos were one of the first things to be closed. But in our state, when you closed it, it affected almost 35 to not 40 percent of our population were on unemployment. So you're trying to balance, obviously, this pandemic and what that means, but also being able to stabilize and, and allowing people to provide for their families. And then when you have that many people who are unemployed, the burden and crash on the unemployment system. Right. To even be able to process all of that. So it was at, at that point, it was more than gaming regulation. You know, I was talking to people about you know, obviously COVID testing, working with our um, incredible, honestly, gaming partners, because so many of them actually had operations overseas and in China and were working with people to obtain tests and masks and and kits. It was really an all hands on deck effort with the private sector, and the public sector, fire departments, counties, cities, literally working on with private jets to fly things in to make sure employees and guests 
you know, could be as safe as possible. And I, I, it was true. It was, I spent more time with medical professionals in February and definitely March and April and May than my own team. So difficult time for the state and just no one had a blueprint or a playbook for it. But you talk about a place being able to bounce back. Um, Las Vegas, you know, you just don't ever (laughs) count on us to be down and out. I think the industry worked really well together. It really made me proud, honestly, to be a Nevadan as to how we were able to usher through that. But I probably have never even sat and really thought about the impact and the, and the process that that all had. But it was, you know, devastating, obviously, for large companies and small. Her pivot came knocking when she met the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis. The team had just made the move from Oakland to Las Vegas and were quietly looking for a leader who had ingrained knowledge of the city and could lead tactfully to maintain their famous fan base while building a new one. So we met when the team moved, but I was in gaming and then I was at Cummington. I went to a firm before I came here and he, you know, Mark Davis has a humongous heart and is really about not only taking care of the Raiders, it's an employee first culture. And he really was like, I want to be woven into every single piece of the Las Vegas community. He's like, we, we are the Las Vegas Raiders and, you know, we want this community to love and embrace us. And it's done great things for us from the, um, you know, from the stadium and from our headquarters that are here in Henderson to really kind of embrace this community. So I, I do think that helps as well. And so we chatted about some things, things about the foundation, things from more of a nonprofit lens. And I was like, that's not, I mean, I want to help. And we, we love the Raiders. We were supportive as soon as the team moved here. We want to dig in and help. But for me, not full time because I was kind of enjoying some things. I actually joined some boards and I was I was actually enjoying a flexibility for the first time of my life. And we always kept in contact. And at the time I was the vice chair of the host committee. And so that I was appointed there through the Super Bowl host committee. And so this would have been at the time that the NFL announced the Super Bowl was coming to Vegas. Uh, the chairman of the host committee is Maury Gallagher, who's the chair of Allegiant Airlines. I serve on that board as well. And we were announced kind of together as being the, the chair and the, and the co-chair of the host committee what we're going to do to usher this in and kind of lightning speed to bring it to Las Vegas, because kind of the the bidding process, if you will, the application process changed a little bit. And so I go to the LA Super Bowl to kind of, you know, check out things out, see what their volunteer program looks like. And I see Mark Davis and he was like, Hey, you're always telling me no. And I just said, I've never told you no. I just said it wasn't the right fit, but we always kind of kept in contact. And then we just had some more serious conversations. Did he say when he, you know, came back to you and you guys had these more serious conversations, did he say what it was about you that made him say, yes, you are the right person with the right experience for this moment for our challenges? Mark is very intentional. And this is where I'm slowly like he he did make a comment, I think, one of our first conversations. And I remember I was driving with my son and his name came up on the Bluetooth in the car. And my son was like, is that really Mark Davis that's calling you? He said, I've heard a lot of good things about you from people that don't know each other. I remember he said something like that. And so that's why, I mean, as I've gotten to know him, I was like, you know, who was it? So I, I, I have a feeling now that, you know, there were, these were people that I've met or interacted with, maybe some in gaming, maybe some in the entertainment space, maybe some in the legal space. And that's why I've always just said, you never know who you're going to run into and you never know who's watching as well. Um, but we have very candid and frank discussions which I think he appreciates as, as well. Ultimately that, you know, he is, he has the owner of this team and has, been with his team for over 60 years. His father is obviously an incredible figure, not just in sports, but a leader as well. Sandra was announced as the president of the Las Vegas Raiders in July of 2022, becoming the first Black female team president in the NFL and only the third woman and third African-American to hold the position in the NFL's 103-year history. 
I just so grateful for him to have given me, you know, this opportunity. A president, I, I'd never met a president of an NFL team, really wasn't sure what to expect. But for him, he is so incredibly candid that he just said, hey, Sandra, if there's a problem here, we'll fix it. And I'm sure you're going to be fine. And the Raiders have been here for a long time. We have a lot of long-term employees and, you know, you're, you'll be okay. And even before the first owner's meeting, I was like, is there anything I need? He's like, oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> so to be able to have kind of his support and just and, and just saying, hey, go, go meet with people, go figure this out. It's been an incredible journey this far. What do you think, you know, there's always a learning curve. Mm-hmm. As you get into any job and you're like, wow, I am not as prepared for this piece as I thought I was. Right. So what are some of those, you know, what do you think since you came from a, a pretty different industry, you know, gaming and sporting and a little bit, but like a different industry. So what pieces do you think have best prepared you for this job? And what pieces are you like, okay, I need to lean on some others to fill in this piece for me? Oh, goodness. I'm an outsider's outsider for the NFL. Like I've had an opportunity to meet some other presidents and people do have different backgrounds, right? There's some lawyers or some people that clearly have been, you know, finance backgrounds, um, more, you know, football operations backgrounds, but I'm definitely an outsider's outsider. I had to understand the process with the NFL and it's, that's going to be a work in process. And I'm just not going to beat myself up to figure all of that out in a month. It's just impossible right? They have their constitution and bylaws. They have policies. They have resolutions. There's always something that's going on. And so I'm lucky enough to have people here in this organization that have been here for a while and that can understand that. But we also have had significant turnover for our executives. And so I've also told, you know, my executive team, go out there, make the connections, understand it, but don't kill yourself to think you have to know it all in one day too. Because, you know, again, there's, there's other resources and people that we can lean on. My priority, my first season was this organization. And making sure that I met everyone in this organization and understood what they meant, what they believed that it meant to be a Raider. I could explain to people what my expectations were of different departments. But I um, have been very open with people. And I think, I hope that people kind of appreciate that saying, look, I don't know anything about stadium operations because why would I have to in my career, right? (laughs) So I'm going to trust you to do your job, but I'm also going to expect that you let me know if there's challenges how I can help, what resources you need. And I just want to make sure that we stay on top and, and, and that we're adopting best practices. But um, I think, you know, pouring into our employees and letting them know that I'm here to support will hopefully kind of build that, help me gain that trust to know that I'm here to support them. And if we're all winning and wanting to be on the same page, do what's best for the Raiders and then we'll get to the right place. Where have you found camaraderie in there? I mean, to your point, it's only 32 teams, but actually you're in competition. Yeah, we're in competition on Sundays for sure. But I I will tell you, Emily, I did not know what that relationship was like with other presidents. I've been so incredibly encouraged. Again, because there's only 32, they're dealing with the same issues. You know, we've had, um, you know, some difficult challenges even since I've been here and people reaching out, you know, just saying, hey, I'm here if you need anything here, if you need a bet here, if you need, you know, just to kind of walk through something. So it's great. So from a business perspective, if we should all be operating at a good level, because that makes the league better. Right. And I've been, you know, just again, really encouraged and I'm happy to have been able to make some good friendships, honestly, with some of my colleagues and peers and have found them to be a a really good collaborative group. I don't know all of them yet because I've only been around for a little bit, but I've been able to make some meaningful, I think, relationships that I'm incredibly grateful for because they could have just said, hey, figure it out on your own. But that has not been the reception that I've received this far. Well, taking on the team and going immediately into hosting the Super Bowl. Those are two like separate, but also huge endeavors. So what has preparing for the Super Bowl looked like for you? 
So it's interesting when I was vice chair, I was not with the Raiders. So I, you know, when we're going through the process of looking at venues and where we're going to host, I used to always say, oh, just talk to the Raiders. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but in all seriousness, my team here at the Raiders have been incredible. We have people on every single committee for the host committee. The host committee itself has been great and working very closely with the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority that truly sells the destination and is a group, you know, like no other. Obviously, we have an incredible amount of conventions here. So they're so skilled on working with hotels, knowing where the event space is. And so being able to work with the host committee and our executive director, um, Sam Joffrey, has been involved with the New Orleans Saints when they host the last two Super Bowls. So we have the expertise on hosting a Super Bowl. We have some of the best venues and hotel rooms and um, in, in town, obviously. And we have the best destination and we have the best team, you know, with the Raiders that are just going to make sure that when we host this in our home stadium that it's going to be an experience unlike no other get ready it's time for your next life-changing unforgettable moment because the greatest sporting event is coming to the greatest arena on earth it's more than the super bowl it's the super bowl in las vegas february 11th 2024 the super bowl happens here And, you know, my goal, obviously, as president of the Raiders is that they come back (laughs) and they come back to enjoy a, you know, a Raider game or an event or a concert. The other thing that I think is incredible is that we are one of maybe two or three stadiums that are 100 percent powered by renewable energy. So to be able to be legal certified for an NFL stadium, to look at our, you know, our composting efforts, our water conservation efforts, I really hope having the Super Bowl here and being able for the Raiders to highlight that will, you know, kind of keep our sustainability initiatives front of mind and top of mind while people are able to have, you know, a once in a lifetime experience. For me, growing up in Las Vegas, I know the Super Bowl will be here and then it will be focused on um, the next city, which is New Orleans. But I want to make sure, and I do believe that our executive committee wants to make sure that there is a long impact, positive impact that it's going to leave um, for the city, whether it be our, you know, community and foundation events or our, um, you know, the pitches that we're doing for local, small and women-owned and diverse-owned businesses to make sure that they have opportunities to contract and work with different companies in the NFL when it comes to the Super Bowl. So we obviously have to mention that you are the first and only Black female president of an NFL team. You've said in an interview that being the first Black woman president doesn't define success for you, but the legacy you leave behind will. So what do you want that to look like? For me, it will be a success if I'm not the last. And I'm incredibly proud of the fact that I, I was the black first black city attorney in the state of Nevada and the first black person and second woman to chair the gaming control board. But on those two positions, and this was, you know, within the last 10 years, I wasn't the last. And that is important for me, right? To be able to show people that people of all different backgrounds, skill sets, regardless of what you look like, have the ability to lead in these positions. And what I'm hopeful to show in the Raiders is that we're going to be successful for our business operations. We're going to do everything we can to support um, the young men that are on the field and our coaches and our GMs to make sure that we're never going to be a distraction, but be able to be a strong, stabilizing, revenue generating force so that the Raiders can continue to be successful. And even though there's been no other black women that have done it in the past, not going to say if, but when I kill it, I hopefully that will open the doors, you know, for other women. And Emily, I've also said that I, I knew there was going to be some news, obviously with me being the first, but the amount of feedback that I've gotten just from women that have been in sports for so long saying, you know, we've been waiting for this. We want this. We want you to tell your story. You know, that's why I've been, you know, trying to kind of open up more and, and, and talk about it because this is something that 
it's not just for one person. That's not just for one type of person or someone with one type of background. And I do think with sports and entertainment and just the business of sports changing and evolving, there's room for everyone at the table. Yeah. And I also think an important part of that is understanding the decision-making process, like having transparency into how we make these decisions. Like I love that you've spoken about that when you're ready to seriously consider taking the job, you consulted your family. And I think that's important for people to hear, to be able to see themselves in these positions of power as well. So what were those conversations like? Well, I mean, I love my husband. He's incredible. He is so supportive. But with him being a former NFL player, he's like, what are we talking about here? What, what's there to discuss? He was like, yes, you're in. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, our children, the time and things like that. But in all seriousness, he was, he was like, we will do this together and I will support you. And he has, honestly, every step of the way. I was looking at another opportunity actually before I joined the Raiders that included some travel. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, is that too much travel? I'm gone every weekend. We've been able to kind of make it work. Spoke with my family. I have a very close set of girlfriends that I've had for over 20 years to kind of talk about what th- this would be. And it's something that you really, you can try to prepare for, but you really don't know until you're in it, right? And that's like with any other position. But talking to them, it was, you know, one, we can do it. We can make it work. We'll have your back. That was the type of support I needed. And for me, having the support of saying, look, honestly, if it doesn't work out, that's something that I honestly learned at the city of North Las Vegas times, like sometimes you just have to try and take a risk, take a chance on yourself, right? Know that you have, and I'm lucky again, to have a great support system. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, that's okay. But I didn't want to ever think what if. What is something that at the time you saw as kind of a negative in your life? Like you were like, oh, I can't believe this is happening, but, or maybe like a low point, but now in hindsight, you see it as really having added, like having put you in the position where you are now. So the first, and I think just because it's more more recent, was the pandemic and having so many different people with our dominant industry and obviously having people being unemployed and just the pressure of it all and obviously the divisive nature of it, saying no to people a lot, right? And me wondering, this may be time for me to move after this because I don't know what this is going to look like. But what I learned through that, even though there were very spirited meetings and some really difficult conversations and obviously very difficult decisions I had to make was that I learned that people would prefer to hear no than nothing at all. So for me, that helped me, I think, with my management style and and my team on saying they don't want to hear no. They obviously want to hear yes, especially if they're asking and posing a question to you. But if you tell them no and why and communicate and say, but if something changes, I'll let you know that I think helped me and help the relationships that I have now. Because many of the people, honestly, that are that are Raiders partners now are people that I interacted with. Um, and, and had to make some of those difficult conversations and have those difficult um, discussions with. So that is something that I think at a, at a time I thought, oh my goodness, it is me, not me against the world, but you know, sometimes I'd be gaming against everything. And, and that was a learning point. The other time was actually I applied. I did not become city attorney on the first, my first interview. I was actually, did not get it the first time, but I remember a couple of council members talking to me and saying, I didn't know you very well. And I don't want you to leave. And I definitely see a future for you here. So I'm grateful that you interviewed and we want to make sure that you're around. So initially I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't get the job. Should I leave? Should I go somewhere else? You know, the person that knew I applied as well, would that be odd? But to get that response, that also was something that, okay, you know, I'm glad I did it because now maybe people know another side of me or now they know who I am and know that I'm valuable to this organization. Um, so a drawback, I think a, sh- a small drawback, but I think long-term the people that saw me actually have that position and some of them weren't even 
on the council when I became city attorney. Again, those type of relationships and being able to let people know who you are and what you can bring to the organization was definitely a, a turning point for me. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really, really great. Emily, thank you so much for having me on She Pivots. This is a lot of fun. Sandra still lives in Las Vegas, but who knows, maybe not for long, with her kids and her husband. She is, of course, killing it as president of the Raiders and is quietly building a legacy that will have an impact on the NFL for generations to come. Look out for her on your TV screens this weekend as the vice chair of the Super Bowl host committee and president of the hosting team. She is truly running the show. Head over to our Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast to tell us who you're rooting for this year and what your Super Bowl friendship bracelet's going to say. Be sure to follow Sandra on Instagram at SDMRRaiders1 for all her latest updates on the Raiders. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots. If you made it this far, you're a true pivoter. So thanks for being part of this community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, leave us a rating. Please be nice. Tell your friends about us. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast or sign up for our newsletter where you can get exclusive behind the scenes content or on our website, She Pivots the Podcast. Talk to you next week. Special thanks to the She Pivots team, executive producer, Emily Edavolosic, Associate Producer and Social Media Connoisseur Hannah Cousins, Research Director Christine Dickison, Events and Logistics Coordinator Madeline Sinovic, and Audio Editor and Mixer Nina Pollock. I endorse Key Pivots. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.